What is going on, everybody? This is your girl, E. Welcome back to another episode of my podcast. I pray that you guys are having a blessed, blessed day. Um, I pray that you guys had a great Labor Day weekend. But without further ado, we're going to get into it. So this topic of today's podcast is titled The Prodigal Entanglement. It is going to be taken from the story of the prodigal son. The chapter and scriptures are Luke 15 verses 11 through 32. But before I get into the scriptures and give you guys the meat and potatoes of it, I want you to take away these lessons and write them down first if you can. And you can always, you know, pause the podcast and write down some notes, you know, when you have time. So the lessons I want you to take away, remember, the title is The Prodigal Entanglement. The lessons that I want you to take away from this are, one, realizing your worth, not self-worth, but realizing your worth. Realizing God's truth about who you are, who he has called you to be. The third one. Your breaking point is going to be your wealth point. Now, I'm going to read the scriptures. Chapter Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. The the parable of the prodigal son. Now, this is Jesus uh, telling his disciples and a few other people that were sitting around. He was telling the story of the prodigal son. So, verse 11. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided divided it unto them his living. Pay attention to verse 12. Verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with righteous living. Verse 14. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Pay attention to 15. That's another good one. Verse 16. And he would fain have filled his belly With the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, How many higher servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said unto his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Verse 25, now his eldest son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fat of calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in, and therefore came to his father. And his father came out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgress I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou have never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with her lot, 
Thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. Verse thirty-two. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. These few verses are so profound, but let me get into the notes so you can get what it is I'm saying. Okay. So going over the lessons that I wanted you to take away, I'm going to give you my key points that I jotted down from them. The first one I gave you was realizing your worth, not self-worth, right? Your worth is not of yourself. Any child of God will soon learn or will begin to learn that as they are developing as mature sons and daughters of Christ, that they do not find their worth within themselves. A lot of people say, oh, you have to find your self-worth. But we do not have worth in and of ourselves because Jesus died for our sins. He has cleansed us through the through his blood. And because of him, we are now, now worthy, right? We are now worthy to go bold before the throne, right? So it's not self-worth, but when you realize your worth, you will realize that it is not of you. And that actually in itself is freedom. Because a lot of times I think that when we try to find self-worth, we always hit a wall. We always hit a plateau. We always hit like a stumbling block. Because I believe that God is trying to show us that. And not to mean that, you know, God doesn't love us and that he doesn't think that, you know, we are worthy. But because we are born into a world of sin. And because we can continually live in sin even after Christ, he knows that. And he wants us to learn that there is no way that we can get to him but by his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. So take that as a keynote. The second point for the first lesson is realizing your worth. You will discover who you are in Christ. Like for real, for real. I don't mean just by sitting under you know a sermon and and having them give you their revelation but as you develop your relationship with Christ as you begin to leave off some of the world and you begin to draw near unto Christ you will discover who you are in him you will learn how to start wearing your full armor of God you uh, armor of God you will start learning how to navigate this world as a Christian believer in discovering more of who you are. Now, this doesn't mean that you become robotic, that you become religious, or that you even put limits on yourself. We have the freedom in Christ to be as free in God as we want to be. But I think that what happens is is when we we start going to church, we start listening to the sermons, we start volunteering for certain things. I think that sometimes we can get into a habit of the same cycle. You know, you wake up on Sunday, you go to church and you come home and you eat, you know, lunch and then you, you go out to the movies and then, you know, life becomes a habitual cycle and it's so easy to become lost in a ritual that you turn into a religion to where you say, I have to go to church or I have to sing in the choir or I'm a child of God. I have to volunteer for this church, you know, event. And I'm not saying that, you know, God isn't calling anyone to be um, part of the, the, the church body of believers to to help out, because I do believe that everyone has a call on their lives. I do believe that those who are meant to be in church have a call to to do particular things within certain seasons. Of that church that God has called them to attend. I don't mean that. But what I'm saying is, is don't become so robotic and so religious. That you start becoming one of those Christians. To where you start putting limits on yourself. And then therefore you start putting limits on God. Saying oh well God can't do that in my life because I'm this. Or God can't do that in someone else's life. Because I've never seen it done before. I want you to take away from this. When you're discovering who you are in Christ. To realize the freedom that you have in Christ to be unlimited. Not that we are, um, you know, like superheroes or whatnot, but when you take off the limits from God and from yourself, you 
you tell God, here, use me. Show me who you want me to be. And you don't hit that wall. You don't hit that that uh, that brick that says, well, if I can't do it, then no one else can, right? So keep that in mind. So lesson number two, realizing God's truth about who you are. You do not belong to the world. That's the truth. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you no longer belong to the world. That is the truth about who you are. Although you may still love the things of the world, and that's all of us. We all have something that needs to be purged from us, from ourselves. We don't get saved and then become perfect overnight. God has to purge us little by little by little, right? Realizing the truth about who you are. You are going to put those things down little by little. That becomes the purging. Giving yourself the grace and the mercy as you learn to navigate the new you that you are becoming while accepting who you used to be. So what I what I mean when I say that is that when you start to become religious, right? Sometimes you that religion, that religious part of you may subconsciously put a mask on, right? You may wear a certain mask at church, you may wear a certain mask at home, you may wear a certain mask, you know, when you're um around certain friends, right? And that mask doesn't give you the freedom or the vulnerability to show who you really are. Now, I'm not saying that you're supposed to show everybody your scars and show everybody who you are because not everybody can handle you at your worst. Not everybody can handle who you are and who you are becoming. But what I mean by um, giving yourself grace and mercy as you learn to navigate the new you that you are becoming while accepting who you used to be is a different type of confidence, right? That's the type of confidence that will look your enemies in the face and say, you know what? You're right. I used to do that. Yep. I used to get down like that. Yep. I used to to do whatever X, Y, and Z. Yep. I used to do those things. But you know what? I know who I am in Christ. And you say that with confidence. You're not going to say it with a low tone. You're not going to say it with your head held down. You're going to look them straight in the eyes and go say, yeah, that used to be who I was. But who I am now and who I'm continuing to become in Jesus Christ is a son and daughter of the Most High King because I am worthy. And when people try to say, oh, you're not worthy because you used to do this, tell them that's exactly why I'm worthy. Because Jesus died for my sins, so therefore he has sins to cover. Start becoming confident in who you are, right? Become confident in who you are and become confident in accepting that that's who you used to be. Because when you accept those things, when you own your mistakes, when you own your past, nobody can take your past and throw it in your face. And you cower down and say, you know what, maybe I'm not worthy. Maybe I should turn around and go. No. Confidence is saying, you know what, you could throw that in my face, but I'm going to push it to the side and I'm going to continue on on this journey. And true maturity in Christ says, you know what? And while I'm going forward, I'm going to pray for you because there's nothing of you that is of God right now. And sometimes that can be your own, your own Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. It can be your own family members. It can be your own coworkers. They'll sit up there laughing and want to throw shade in your face. And you know what you say? I'm going to pick that up and I'm going to throw it to the side. I'm not going to put it in my bag. Because I'm no longer identifying with who I used to be. That's the old me. I'm no longer there. Who you're seeking doesn't exist anymore. The the dead person that you're trying to keep bringing alive, she's dead. She's no longer alive. But I'm going to show you who I am in Christ. She's alive again. Just like what the father said about his son. He said he was once dead, but now he is alive again. You tell your enemies, you tell your foes, you tell your coworkers, you tell your family members, I am new in Christ. You don't get to tell me who I am. I get to show you who I am in Christ. So always remember that. The third point, the third lesson, your breaking point is going to be your wealth point. And the reason why I say this is because when a prodigal son came to himself and he said, and I'm paraphrasing it, 
I am not worthy to be my father's son, but I will become as one of the servants. The prodigal son had a vulnerability and a humility, and he had a mirrored moment, right? Where he didn't think of himself to be worthy. But it was in all humility where he says, you know what? I don't think that this is the life that I was supposed to live. This doesn't seem like who I used to be. Right? But he had a moment that said, you know what? I'm not worthy. I'm going to go back home to my father. And I'm going to be as one of the higher servants. To us, we saw him thinking of himself not being worthy. But what Jesus was trying to say, what God sees, is that God sees a son. And a prodigal son represents us as God's children because no matter when we got saved, no matter how long we've been saved, we've all walked away from the truth of God. We've all walked away and tried to do our own thing. We've all walked away and lived in sin or, you know, became disobedient. God was saying he didn't see himself as worthy, but he humbled himself. Because he wanted to return home. This represents us as the body of Christ, right? But because of his willingness to come back home, he was humbled. He came back more than what he left with. And the reason why I say that is because, and I'm not talking about the material wealth, because he came back, he was broke. But the material things is not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that he left in the flesh and he left being arrogant and he left being rich, but he came back being materialistically poor, but he also came back rich in spirit because when he humbled himself before God, when he said to himself, you know what, I I am more than this. I cannot sit up here and eat swine and eat eat the, the same food that the pigs eat. I have to return home. There was a, an awakening done in his spirit. There was awakening done in his soul to where he says, I've lived in the world long enough. This is not who I am. I'm broken. I know I'm worth more than this. Even though he said he wanted his father to hire him as one of the servants, all God wanted him to do was realize his humility. And God says, I'll take it from there. Right? And then he also realized that he was his father's son. And that he wanted to come back home for the right reasons. Now, before I get on to the rest of the story, I'm going to give you uh, what I think. Right? So... When you look back at the story, right, and if you if you remember the scriptures, right, there was a few scriptures I said was going to be the key scriptures for you to remember, verses 12 and verses 15, right? And I'm going to read it again, verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto them his living. Now, if you look at that verse, what God revealed to me about this verse in which I, I had not looked at it like this before. But see, this is what I love about the word of God is that you can read it over and over and over and over and for years and years and years. And, and later on down the line, like 20 or 30 years later, God will give you a revelation that you haven't noticed before. A lot of times we talk about the prodigal son in this story. But what we don't really always talk about is the older brother who was jealous. Now, some sermons may may give you the fact that, yeah, the brother was jealous, he wasn't happy, yada, 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 and I'll get to that later on. But what I want you to see in verse 12, right, is, is that when you read it, you see that both of them were at the table, or sort of like a table, right? They both were before their father, and their father gave both of them a lot of times this story is spoken of and it's told that the prodigal son got all of his portion of the goods. But verse 12 says that the father gave the oldest brother and the youngest brother their living. So what they were supposed to have gotten when the father passed away, they got in while he was alive. 
Now, check this. I'm convinced. I am convinced now. Y'all may be thinking, oh, this is too much far thinking, but I am convinced. Check me and just hear me out, right? I am completely convinced that the older brother put the younger brother up to take his portions of the good and put it in his ear that if you go out and and live and and live free and you don't have to be in this household and and under the stringent rules and you can live free and do what you want. I believe that the the older brother put the younger son up to getting his portion of goods because guess what? At the end of the story, it says it in the Bible that the oldest brother was jealous and when the son returned, when the younger son returned, the oldest brother was not happy. And the reason why I believe that the older brother put the younger brother up to this and to run away was because the younger brother was not only jealous of the older brother was not only jealous of the younger sibling was that he wanted him out of the house. Probably because, you know, that saying goes how, you know, the youngest is always a favorite or the first is always like, you know, whatever. But it's normally the youngest that's the most spoiled, right? So I do believe that there was some type of sibling rivalry. And I do believe that the older brother put him up to it. Because if you look at it, the father gave both of them the goods. Now, the the older brother could have declined it and said, you know what, I don't want it. But I think the older brother set the younger brother up so he can leave. Now, stick with me, right? We know that the younger son at that time, he was greedy. But he also had help, right? His his brother, who was jealous of him, I'm going to say that he represents a person who is in your ear, right? Who is in your ear? Who are you listening to? Who, who do you take, who do you take counsel from? Because not everybody who's close to you that gives you a word is giving you a word because they care about you. Some people only want you to go away so that way they can be the shining star, that they can be the light, that they can be the, the whomever, or it can be all about them because they see you as a threat, right? Now, I'm gonna continue on. This also represents your enemies. It can be family. It can be fake friends. It can be fake coworkers. It can even be church members. This can even be applied to spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers, spiritual leaders. Because I don't believe that everybody behind every pulpit is a child of God. I already know that the devil works wherever he can work, right? Not everybody is your friend. Not everybody who is giving you advice is giving you advice because they care about you. They want to see you fall. They want to see you, you know, uh, take a crash course in life and never to return because they see the light that you have within you. They see the goodness that's in you. They see your royalty. They see your pearls, but they want you to throw your pearls before them. Why? Because the Bible says, do not throw your pearls before swine. What does that mean? Do not throw your riches in, in who you are that God has you to be. Do not, do not take the best of you and give it to the world because the world doesn't deserve the best of who you are. Who deserves the best of who you are? Jesus. God. They deserve the best of who you are. Right? And be careful of those spiritual leaders, those spiritual mothers and fathers because not everybody who you think is as spiritual as they appear to be is as spiritual as they appear to be now. And it may take some people some years to realize, you know what? I was manipulated. I, I was in a church that was a cult. I was part of a, a cult and, you know, I didn't realize it. But see, the thing about the Jezebel spirit saints is, is that sometimes you don't know that you're being manipulated. You don't realize that you're being deceived. You don't realize that. The things that are going on is wrong because everyone around you is saying that, oh, it's fine. It's okay. Even though a part of you saying, is this really right? Is this really what's supposed to be going on? Is this what we're supposed to be doing? I didn't think that I agree with that. And in the beginning, if you look back, 
if you have a chance to look back or if you're in the middle of it, you will look back to the first time you saw something being done wrong and you realize that, you know what, I remember the Holy Spirit telling me, you know what, this is probably not a good idea. I remember the Holy Spirit giving me a bad feeling within my stomach, the pit of my stomach, and the Holy Spirit telling me that, you know what, this is probably not the people who you should be hanging out with, right? And like I said, these same people can be jealous of you, and and they might want to see you fall off into the deep end, but they'll never tell you that, but they know that because you trust them and that they have your ear, that they have power over you, but you can always break this power, right? I like that the prodigal's son's story to that is of intimate relationships, right? I will liken the prodigal son's story to that of intimate relationships. And the reason why I call this the prodigal entanglement is because, and the reason why I wanted to give you the gist of this story is because this somehow, not somehow, but this prodigal son, his story can be related to what happens when we get into intimate relationships now i'm going to also caveat and say that you can apply this to not just intimate relationships you can apply this to fake friends right because it's all in who you're connected to you can apply this to spiritual leaders spiritual advisors people who are in spiritual authority you can uh, liken this to business partners you know with certain franchises because there's there's power and connection there's divine appointment, but there's also a destruction that comes with certain people who you link up with, right? But for the sake of the story that God put on my heart to give to you, I'm going to liken it to intimate relationships, right? The prodigal son was comfortable. He was around his family, even though his brother was jealous of him, right? He was he was in a household, right? And this represents us with God. We, when we first get saved, right, we're protected, we're safe, we're taught to read the word, we're taught to, you know, um, not to be unequally yoked, you know, because you're saved. And the Bible does talk about being unequally yoked, right, for the specific purpose of if someone is not saved and you're saved, right, you should not be connecting your spirit with, with certain other spirits because that person is not saving, et cetera, right? This represents us in the body of Christ, how we can fall off on a very end, right? And his brother, the prodigal son's brother, his older brother was uh, the culprit, right? Now, when you think back to your first, I want you to think back to your first toxic relationship. I don't mean your first, you know, um, boyfriend, your first girlfriend or whoever, right? Because not every relationship that we've, we've had has been bad, but not every relationship that we've had has been good. So what I want you to do, right, is not think about your first relationship, but I want you to think about your first toxic relationship. And this may not even be you, and this story may not be for you, but like I said, you can apply it to other areas. Think about your first toxic relationship. Who comes to your mind? And this is a moment for you to let pride go right? Let pride go. Be vulnerable because I do believe that this is an on-time message because I do believe that there are some people who, because of your pride, because of your ego, because of what you lost, you don't want to admit that this may have been you. You don't want to admit that, yes, this may have happened to me and etc. So I want you to be vulnerable, even if it's painful to remember who was your first toxic relationship. If they come to mind, if God put them on your heart, at the sound of my voice, as the anointing of the Holy Spirit is falling, is coming through me. Write, write the name down, right? And it could have been through, they could have verbally abused you. Um, it could have been running off with them doing things that you shouldn't have been doing, right? Because you were taught and you knew better, right? And also, it could have been at your first encounter, you know, could have been with drugs with this person, right? And it could have been something, and it doesn't have to always be drugs. It could, have, it just could be just a lifestyle that you were living that you knew was not right. And even if you didn't know it was right, and you had no idea that living this type of way because you were never taught it was either sin or not right, you may have looked back on that moment and realized, you know what? I didn't know it was wrong, but 
God can still reveal it to you because it's okay to grow from it. It's okay to learn from these lessons. It's okay to look back and say, you know what? Now I see why God didn't have me uh, marry that person. Now I see why God had me divorce that person. I Now I know why God had me break away from that person because this was not who God wanted me to have in my future, right? Because you know and I know that God has a plan for every one of his children. And that plan does not involve anyone who is going to be detrimental to your health, your mental health, your physical health, your spiritual health, your emotional health. And that and that plays and that ties into your business plans, your finances, your you know, where you're going to live, you know, your children, you know, your grandchildren, your great grandchildren. God knows the future that he is calling you to. He knows the future that he wants you to have. He knows the plans that he has for you. Jeremiah 29 and 11. Because God knows this, when you hook up with certain people, he knows that they're not for you. But sometimes, right? Sometimes. When you become entangled in relationships that are ungodly and God clearly has said no or has not told you yes, guess what you do? You ignore every red flag. You ignore every yellow flag. You ignore every orange flag. All the flags that you can ignore, you ignore it. Why? When you ignore those flags, you are headed for disaster. And if you do not get out in time, God is saying, even though I can't protect you, what if I don't? Although I can command the devil to leave you alone, which I have in the past and which I still could do, what if I let you learn your lesson this time? What would you do? Right? So keep that in mind. One of your greatest lessons will be. That you never ever need someone outside of God to feel worthy. God will never allow this to happen. You want to know why? Because God knows that because of Jesus Christ, he knows who you are. And because we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, we should not be getting entangled with people that are pulling us away from God. But we should be connected to other sisters and brothers in Christ that is ordained by God for us to be with because the Bible says iron sharpens iron but God did not say every iron is going to sharpen every iron because not everybody you meet that is in the body of Christ is going to be your assignment and not everybody that you come under is going to in not everybody that you come under you're going to be their assignment right so although iron sharpens iron God still wants me to tell you that you still have to be careful of the iron that you sharpen yourself with. Because even if y'all both are iron, right? If it is not meant for you guys to go in the same direction, in the same path, being together in a relationship, it's still not going to work. And you're going to, you're going to have your checklist and you're going to check it off and you're going to say, well, you know, they have the cars, they have the money, they have this, they have that. And God is saying, that's not necessarily a depiction of what you think is your soulmate, right? God is saying, who I have for you is for you, right? And vice versa. This is why some people fall in love, like I said, with the position. They fall in love with the money. They fall in love with things that they can see because what it hides the disdain within someone's heart. It hides the, the dissatisfaction that someone can feel. And it, it, it temporarily fills the emptiness that's inside. This is why some want the big cars, the, the big houses, the money, and they want to walk around flashy. But when you, you ever get to know certain people like that and you realize, man, on the outside, you're like, you got it going on. But on the inside, I would never, ever want to be friends with you. Why? Because you have people who, to the to the world, to the eye, it looks like they have it all. But you know from experience that they could not be this way. And this is why you hear certain celebrities say, you know what? I would not want to get to know certain celebrities 
because they hold them on such a high pedestal. They know that if they got to know them, they know that they probably wouldn't like the way they eat or they wouldn't like the way they always think. This is why certain celebrities walk around with a certain um a, a certain facade or they only show you a certain side of who they are because they're taught to to be about image. And that's not always safe and that's not always um a happy place to be because what it's not real. You know, it's not real. And this is why even certain pastors and certain spiritual leaders and certain um, CEOs never want to get vulnerable with certain people because they, they realize that if they showed you their their real human self, that you would not like them. You know, you'd be surprised what certain pastors and what certain leaders go through in the pulpit behind closed doors. And if you got to know some of them, some of half of y'all probably wouldn't even go to their church anymore. Why? Because there's a facade, there's a facade, and 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 I'm not saying that you know certain people can't show, you know who they really are, and and sometimes you know they you know uh, should, because Jesus, if you think about Jesus, Jesus was intimate with twelve disciples, but he ministered to everyone. So I do believe that there are certain people that you are supposed to be vulnerable with, and who's supposed to see you cry, right? But those are God-ordained people. Those are the people who you're supposed to have in your corner. So if you have people at your table that God doesn't want you to have have at your table and your table is filled and the seats are being occupied, God is saying to you today, if this seat is filled with who I did not call to be in your life, I cannot send who I need to be in your life in this season. And this is why the devil sends his distractions with these these um relationships that are sent by Satan. They are sent by Satan to distract you, to deter you, you know. And like I said before, think about who was your first toxic relationship. How did it all start? Why? Because you liked them. You loved them. Now you, you know, you find yourself trying to get on drugs. Now you find yourself trying to, you know, not, you know, abuse alcohol or you find yourself not trying to spend too much. Why? Because you haven't dealt with the things on the inside because now you are contaminated. Now you have soul ties with with um, people who were unequally yoked and you don't know who they have soul ties to. So now you're mixed in and you're entangled, right? You're entangled with another person's soul and certain baggage that they carry with them now that you have. And God is saying, because you have this prodigal entanglement, I'm trying to set you free. Who's in your ear, right? So don't get caught up in the the clothes and the positions because that doesn't depict who's going to be in your corner. That doesn't, that's not going to depict that, oh, this person is for me right? Stop wanting to care about the position, the money's the fame, right? You do not need someone for the sake of feeling whole, of feeling worthy, like you are all that. You can be single and walk in your purpose, and you can be married outside of the will of God and still be miserable. So being single and being married does not determine the purpose that God has for your life. Because if you ask a lot of the married people right now, are they happy? Most of them will probably tell you no, they're not. And if you ask those who are of the body of Christ, they'll tell you that they knew that God, you know, said that they weren't supposed to marry this person, but they did it anyway. Right? So don't look at other people's lives and think, oh man, they have it all together. Oh, they have this, they have that. Because a lot of them probably don't have it all together, right? Now, this is another key point that I want to that I want to hit home, right? Luke 15 verses 14 through 16. Reaping what others have sown. And I'm going to read those verses. 14. And when he had spent all there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. Remember I told you before, pay attention because verse 15 is a good one. 
So verse 16, and he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. When God revealed to me this, I was like, wow, this is so amazing. So reaping what others have sown, when you get into these relationships, when you get yourself entangled into uh, being unequally yoked with someone, right? You're, you're leaving the comfort of God's presence. You're leaving the, the safety, the protection of God. Now, it doesn't mean that God hasn't protected some. He has. Because there are some people who should have gotten pregnant, who should have had a disease, and they're clean and no, no pregnancies or whatever. I'm not saying that God doesn't protect you. It can protect you or anyone. But what I'm saying is, is that when you walk in sin, when you live in sin, right, Satan has a right to attack you. What the prodigal son did in this moment was profound, but it also was part of his wake-up call, right? Because the prodigal son walked away from his home, from what his father had, right? He came unto a country and unto a land that went through a famine. The revelation that God gave me about this was is that when you are not where you are supposed to be as a child of God, you will reap what another person has sown. Now, think about this. If the prodigal son was not in that land, he would not have he would have not been in famine. You understand what I'm saying? Because he was not where he's supposed to be. He experienced all the curses that was upon that land that was meant for those people. Now, if the prodigal son would have still been at his father's house, up underneath his father's authority, doing what his father wanted him to do, being up under servants, being catered to. Because remember, his father had higher servants. So what does this mean? That the sons probably were spoiled, right? They didn't really have to work. Because if you have servants in your house, guess what? The sons are probably not washing dishes. The servants are. The sons are probably not ironing their clothes. The servants are. So the prodigal son had a good. He had it made. He had the life that a lot of people dream of. But because he went away into his own lust, because he ran away, because he thought he knew what he was doing, and because he had someone in his ear saying, you know what? You should take your money and go run away. You can do what you want to do. You can live rich and be free. You don't have to listen to our father's rules and, and yada, yada, yada. Because he did that, because he walked away and started living in sin, he ended up in a land that experienced a famine. And because he was on the ground that other people were reaping, he also, too, experienced a famine. Now, what I want to say about this is, is that this is a home hitter for some of you. When you are not where you're supposed to be, be connected to someone or something that God did not ordain. You will reap the blood of other people's sins, right? Watch who you are connected to because you will reap what they have sown. And I'm going to stop here real short and I'm going to give you an example, right? Say, for instance, you have two best friends, right? One goes off to be in college and the other one still, you know, is, is in the street selling drugs, blah, 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 right? The two are best friends. It's just that they're on two opposite roads, right? But they're best friends. They, they stay in contact with, with each other regularly, check up on each other, see how each other's doing, blah, blah, blah. One summer they meet up, you know, and say, hey, let's hang out, blah, 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 right? The college student not realizing what the his friend is out there in the streets doing, selling drugs, you know, being part of a gang, blah blah blah. You know, they meet up, they're they're out, you know, doing their thing, they're in a car, and guess what? The drug dealer has people who are after him, whether he realizes it or not. Of course, he's not going to tell his friend. So they're in a car, they're out and about, and guess what? The people who are after him, they don't care who's in a car with him. All they want is what the drug dealer. The other best friend. So guess what? He gets caught. They shoot up the car. And now both are dead. 
Now, I know this may seem like a sad story, but you know what? It does happen. They both are dead. Why? Because one was living in life that was living in sin, was out there in the world, and he was reaping what he had sown. Now, the, the college student, the, the other best friend, he had no parts of that life. He didn't sell drugs, probably not in his life. He did all the good things and, you know, was headed down the right path and, and had a, a great future ahead of him. But what happened? He stayed connected to someone who was connected to Satan in a dark world, right? Because that's what the streets does. The streets are dark. The world is dark. The devil works through people. And, and, and you know, my sister once told me she was like a bullet doesn't have a name on it. That college kid is now dead. He had a future, but why? He was connected to someone who was reaping what they have sown in that season. The Bible says that if you sow seeds, there will be a harvest. It's called seed time, harvest time. Seed time, harvest time. When you are connected with someone who has a curse over them, when you are connected to a people, to a land that has a curse over it, in that due season, if you are there, you are going to reap what they have sown. And that's not something that you can escape. Now, I know some people talk about, you know, oh, you know, you can experience a recession and, you know, God can still bless your pockets. This is not what I'm talking about, right? Because when when God still blesses you financially and materialistically and, and, and business-wise and through a marriage and things like that, that's because you are being obedient. Here we have the prodigal son was not doing what he was supposed to have been doing. He was not where he was supposed to have been. So guess what? When that land experienced a famine, he experienced a famine too. If this is not a wake-up call for somebody, if this is not a wake-up call for somebody, and I'm going to repeat it again, if this is not a wake-up call for somebody, for you to realize that you can be connected to a dangerous person, or you can be connected to a holy person. Wrong relationships will run you dry. Wrong relationships will wipe you out and leave you for dead. But if it was not for God, right? When a prodigal son came to, no one who helped him spend his money was with him. And that's verse 17 because it said, no one gave unto him. Let me tell you something. The world, and I mean Satan, I mean enemy, I mean adversary. There are going to be people in your life who they will take, 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 take. And they do not care if you go broke. They do not care if they help you go broke. They do not care if they help you run dry. You you may be dating or was dating a narcissistic person. They don't care if they deplete you emotionally. They don't care if they break your spirit. They will leave you high and dry. And when you wake up and when you come to it, they will not be around you. And you want to know when you have hit rock bottom, you will know that you have hit rock bottom. Is when people who live in darkness don't even want to be around you. Come on, somebody. That's a word. That is a word. When you have hit rock bottom, even the people who live in darkness don't want to be around you. Why? Because your pit is even too dark for them. They have sense enough to say, you know what? I don't want to be around this person no more. I done got what I needed. It's time for me to go someplace else. Some people living in the dark got more sense than you. Why? Because God is going to teach you a lesson. Verse 18. As much as I want to say the son running back to his, excuse me, running back to um, his father is like the gist of the story, is the best part of the story. It's not verse 18 is the best part of the story. Why? Because what Jesus wanted us to know about this story, even though, you know, the son going back was good, it was gravy. But I think the heart of the story that Jesus wants us to realize is that in verse 18, the prodigal son says, I will repent. And I will go before my father and say, I have sinned against you and, and heaven. This is an act of repentance. Anybody can come home. Anybody can come back to church. Anybody can leave a relationship. But if you leave a relationship arrogant, 
haughty, prideful, egotistical, and you try to act like everything's okay when it's not, you have not learned the lesson. You have more wealth in your breaking point. My lesson point number three, you have more wealth in your breaking point than you do at any other moment in your life because of your humility, because of your vulnerability. In that moment, the devil can do nothing with you. The only person who can handle you at your weakest moments and your vulnerable moments is God himself, right? The lesson in this story is repentance because the son could have come home and he could not have been repentful and his father probably still would have accepted him. Why? Because he is his son. But because he repented and he said, I have sinned against my father and against heaven. Jesus was showing us the power of forgiveness. Jesus was showing us the power of humility and vulnerability. Right? You will not come to your full worth if you do not repent. Repentance opens up heaven. Right? To pour out unto you. Because you are, you are humble. You are vulnerable. And God can do nothing with a hard heart, right? God can do nothing with a hard heart. And before I end it, I want to give you another story, right? When Jesus went back to his hometown, there was a part in the New Testament where Jesus had did so many miracles. He did miracles in other parts of Jerusalem and all this other stuff. And he was he was healing the sick and speaking life and putting mud in people's eyes and then the blind was seen and the sick was healed. But when Jesus went back to his hometown, right, the city where you know his parents raised him, it said in a word that Jesus could do no miracles there because their hearts were hardened, right. And the people of that town was like, "Who is this Jesus? They talk about doing miracles. Isn't this the carpenter's son?" Wasn't he over there building chairs? What do you mean he does miracles? Like, if he can do miracles, why would he have to build a chair, right? Jesus could not do a miracle there. Not that he couldn't, but because of their heart and heart, if Jesus did miracles there, it would have not mattered. They still would not have been converted. They still would not have been saved. So what did Jesus do? It said he healed a few people in that town and then he left. Why? This shows you that God can do nothing with a hard heart. If you are hard-hearted, if you are cold-hearted, if you are callous heart, God can do nothing. God can only do something with a heart that is turned towards him through repentance. You may have left that relationship. And there are some of you who you've left your relationship or relationships and you feel like you're mad at God because why did my marriage end? Why didn't uh, this relationship work out? You thought you heard from God, you know. And you may have even had people tell you, oh, yeah, this is the person for you. I can see it. You know, God told me this is the person who you're going to marry. And I want to say, I'm not saying that um, there are some people out there who God can't talk to, right? But there are a few things that I believe that God only gives the responsibility of for the person themselves, right? And one of the things is, is who you're going to marry. A lot of times God does not tell people who you're going to marry, right? He may give confirmation. He may give peace. But throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament, of all the prophecies, of all the, the times that angels were sent as messengers, I do not recall anyone saying, this is who you're supposed to marry. This is who you're supposed to be with. Because I believe that God only speaks to the person or the two people who are supposed to get married. And I'm not saying if a person says this, you know, not to believe them. It's possible because I'm not going to limit God. Like I said before, I'm not going to put a limit on God. But there are certain things that we must go to God for on our own. Because it is our responsibility. Right. To hear from God on certain things. Now, and like I said, you may have gone to a church leader and they may have said, you know, this is the person who you're supposed to marry. 
you know, God told me such and such and such, and you listen to them. And now the marriage has ended in shambles, right? The relationship has ended in shambles, or you are very hurt. You know, you left the relationship broken down and out, and you were in so much pain that now you're mad at God. But God is saying to you today that you can always turn to him. God said, I didn't tell you to have a prodigal entanglement. I didn't tell you to get with this person. If anything, I told you not to get with this person because you know whether God gave you peace about being in this person's presence or whether God um, gave you a warning to say, you know what, maybe you shouldn't do this or maybe you shouldn't take part in, in this activity, right? If anything, God probably told you what to do and what not to do, right? So if you are in this situation or you have come from this situation and you find yourself hard-hearted you have pride you have ego you're mad at god because the relationship that you really wanted to work out didn't work out you know you're not only mad at god but you 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 turn away from the church you don't go to church anymore you know what do not hold another person with the responsibility that you were supposed to have concerning your past relationships Because before God speaks to anybody about who you're supposed to be with, if he does, and what you're supposed to be doing, God always will speak to you. So I want you to humble yourself. I want you to repent before God and before heaven. And I want you to ask God to not only to restore you, but to show you where you went wrong, to show you where in the beginning You heard God say no, but you went past the stop sign and you collected $200 and you said, you know what? This looks fun. I'm going to go ahead and do what I want to do. And now you're down and out and now you're broken and now you're going through a divorce and now you're bitter. And you know what God says. And he is saying to you today, although I love you, although I would give anything to heal your heart at this very moment. God is saying, you did not listen to me. You did not take heed to my warning. I still love you because if I didn't love you, I would have taken you home a long time ago. I have you here for a purpose. And it doesn't mean that you're not supposed to get married again. It doesn't mean that you're not supposed to court. It doesn't mean that you're not supposed to date around, you know, in a godly kind of way. I don't mean out there being out there in the streets. I mean in a godly kind of way. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to do that. He may very well have a spouse for you. He may very well have a business partner for you. He may very well have a church for you to go to. But because you're hard-hearted, because you want to turn away from the church, because the church have hurt you, because you listen to them, or maybe they, maybe it wasn't that you listened to them. It could have been that, you know, you were going through a divorce and they told you, you know what, divorce is, is ungodly. If you're, if you get a divorce, you know, you're no longer going to be a part of the church. There is no such thing to where God says that if you get a divorce from a person who I did not call you to be with, that I'm going to kick you outside of the church. You know what? That is a worldly religion. That religion is not of God because God said that he would never leave us nor forsake us. God is going to kick us out of the kingdom of heaven if we get a divorce from a person who uh, he, he never told us to get married. To anyway, even if you got a divorce from a person who God told you to be with, God is still not going to take your name out of the, the Lamb's book of life. That is the world's religion. That is something that is made up because if God was going to let you go that far, God would have called you home to already be in heaven. If something, if you were going to do something that was going to cause you to, to, you know, what I'm saying, just saying, you know, which is not going to happen. But if you were going to do something that was going to cost you, you know, your salvation or something like that, God would have been taking you out. So I pray that this podcast is a blessing to you. I pray that you can be restored back to Christ. I pray that you repent. I pray that even even at the sound of my voice, even if you do not want to, even if you don't want to repent, even if you don't want to, ask God to help you with your want to. Because I know that there are some of you who don't want to because your heart is that hardened. But if you pray and you ask God to even take your hard heart and do what it is that he wants to do with it, he will work on you little by little because you are a child of God. You deserve the best. You will look at your enemies in the face 
And you will even look at yourself in the face and say, you know what? Because I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ, because I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I am worthy. I deserve to have the best that God has for me. I'm no longer going to beat myself up for for living in sin, or I am no longer going to beat myself up for being in relationships that I was not supposed to be in. I am not going to beat myself up for getting a divorce. The world may can beat you up, but you know what? God does not beat you up, and God is saying, welcome home. I want to see you back. I want to see you back in church. I want to see you back in my presence. I want to see you worshiping me again. I want to see you do a Bible study again. I have a spouse for you. I have a wife for you. I have a husband for you. But I can't get you aligned with what I have for you if your heart is not in the right place. So saints, I pray that this this podcast was a blessing to you. I pray that you take this and I pray that you let it soak. And I pray and I pray and I pray that you are restored unto the kingdom of God through repentance, through humility, through your humbleness and being vulnerable with the right people. And I am praying that God will send you um, another sister, brother in Christ. So that way iron can shop an iron. That way God can send you his divine connections. In Jesus name, I pray these things. Amen.